I don't know if you've noticed, but Christmas is a time of great paradox. The story of Christmas is a story that we know all too well. It's a story that is rehearsed every year as one of the central elements of the church's worship. Christmas is important to us. But sometimes, because we are so familiar with these story or with this story, it's easy for us to miss some of the deeper significances of what is happening. We get the celebration part. I mean, who doesn't love presents? Who doesn't love enjoying a great meal with friends and family? Who doesn't enjoy the hustle and bustle of the season? These are all good things, things to celebrate. But there's more going on to Christmas than meets the eye. Yes, it is a birthday, the birthday of Jesus. And yes, it is worth celebrating, as I've said. But let us not become blind or deaf or unaware of the deep, profound paradoxes of Christmas. Was Jesus actually born on December 25th? Well, probably not. In fact, he was probably born sometime in the spring, as far as we know, or perhaps in the fall, maybe in the summer. Does it really matter? Not really. So why December 25th? Well, there are two reasons for that. One is because we celebrate the Annunciation of Mary, of receiving the, uh, the news from the Archangel Gabriel that she would indeed give birth to a son. That, of course, is celebrated on March 25th. And if you know your human biology, you'll know what date comes after March 25th when a woman is, in, uh, is pregnant, December 25th. Makes sense, right? The other reason is, you may have noticed driving here on the way to church that for 10.30 at night for a service, which is not admittedly the most convenient of times, especially after a day and a half of, well, Canadian weather, I guess is what you could call this. Why? Why? Because that paradox of darkness. Darkness, as we know in the scriptures, is always a metaphor or a symbol for being away from God, for being lost, for being stuck in our own sin. And so we celebrate Christmas at a dark time of the year. The days are short. The amount of sunlight is not there. We celebrated the, we, the, uh, the longest day, or I mean the longest night, I'm sorry, just a couple days ago. And that's part of the significance of why we have Christmas in the dark. Because at Christmas we celebrate, as we've just said in the Nicene Creed, the birth of God here among us, light from light. The light, as John tells us in his gospel, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That paradox between dark and light is integral to the story of Christmas. Because the significance of Jesus' birth as light from light is indeed that light that shines in the darkness, that dispels all that stands in the way of our wandering, of our suffering, of our estrangement from God. But there's more going on, of course. Jesus comes to us as King of kings and Lord of lords. And like the wise men, we would rightly assume that such a king, the king of all the universe, would be found in some profound 
mansion, a castle, a palace. And that's where the wise men go. But the king of the universe is found not in the centers of power. He's found in a manger, a feeding trough, something that we put animal feed in. Not what we would expect, is it? That great paradox again of a king in a manger. As I said earlier when we were, well, when we were coming in, at our four o'clock service we had a very noisy, chaotic service. And part of that makes sense. If you think about the Christmas story, there would inevitably be a lot of noise. Right? If Mary is giving birth in a stable, she would be surrounded by animals. And animals tend not to be particularly quiet, especially in the midst of, what are these people doing here in my home? What is going on? I don't know about you, but I've been present for at least four childbirths in my life. And they are not a silent affair. Credit to my wife where credit is due. She was not as loud maybe as she could have been, but uh, it's not a quiet affair. And yet we sing that song, Silent Night. It's a lovely song, but was it really that silent? Well, no, in one hand, it wasn't that silent. As I just said, there would have been a lot of noise. Giving birth, as I said, is a loud process, and usually the babies don't come out too quietly either. And if they come out quiet, we know what happens. A swift uh, pat on the bottom to get them crying because they need to get their lungs moving to get that, the, um, the, the liquid out. So again, not a silent night, but yet we can see and understand how at that moment all of creation, the entirety of the cosmos would hold its breath for this profoundly sacred moment. Birth is important, of course, but this is not just an ordinary birth. This is the birth of God with us. God as one of us. God among us. So the noise and the silence are paradoxes, but they are a paradox that go together. The virgin shall conceive. There's a paradox in itself. Again, if you know anything about human biology, you'll know that that is an impossible sentiment. Virgins can't give birth. How can they? It goes against the definition, of course, of what a virgin is. And if you don't know what I'm getting at, I'm sorry, the school system has failed you here. But the profundity of what's going on, again, is to signify this is not just an ordinary birth. There is something significant about this. The Word made flesh. Words are air. They're breath. Once they're uttered, they go, and then once they're heard, they disappear. But the word that spoke everything into existence is now come to us in a human body. The word made flesh. Again, the deep, profound paradox that stands at the heart of the Christian faith. That God was made human, incarnate, in the flesh. Again, when we think of God, we think of something that is bigger and better and more powerful and more spectacular than I could ever conceive. And yet here we have this God coming down to be with us as one of us 
among us, for us. We know the angels sang, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. As high as it's possible to go, and yet at the same time. Why is God glorified in the highest? Because God has come to the farthest, down the farthest. Not just down on earth as born as a human, but as we know the story of Jesus, he goes down to the depths of human suffering, the depths of human misery, the depths of human death itself. Glory to God in the highest because God goes all the way down. So you see these paradoxes at Christmas and the thought that they invite, they invite our contemplation. They invite our prayer. They invite our worship. And so with this in mind, these deep paradoxes of Christmas, I end our reflection tonight with a poem by that great English wit and poet and essayist G.K. Chesterton, a poem he entitles Gloria in Profundis. For in dread of such falling and failing, the fallen angels fell, inverted in insolence, scaling the hanging mountain of hell. But unmeasured of plummet and rod, too deep for their sight to scan, outrushing the fall of man is the height of the fall of God. Glory to God in the lowest, the spout of the stars in spate, where thunderbolt thinks to be slowest and the lightning fears to be late. As men dive for sunken gem pursuing, we hunt and hound it. The fallen star has found it in the cavern of Bethlehem. There has fallen on earth for a token, a god too great for the sky. He has burst out of all things and broken the bounds of eternity. Into time and terminal land, he has strayed like a thief or a lover. For the wine of the world brims over in its splendor spilt on the sand. Who is proud when the heavens are humble? Who mounts if the mountains fall? If the fixed stars topple and tumble, and a deluge of love drowns them all? Who rears up his head for a crown? Who holds up his will for a warrant? Who strives with the starry torrent when all that is good goes down? Thanks be to God.